0: You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's
1: your host, Scott Kerr.
0: My guest on The Luxury Item today is Julie Michael, CEO of Team One. Team One is the advertising giant Publicis Group's fully integrated advertising, digital, and media agency that focuses on luxury brands. Team One's portfolio of elite marketing partner brands include Lexus, Marriott International Luxury Brands, which includes the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, W Hotels and St. Regis Hotels and Resorts, Cathay Pacific Airways, Harmon International, and others. Julie has been with Team One for over 18 years, overseeing projects with major luxury brands I just mentioned. As CEO, Julie oversees the agency's annual Global Affluent Tribe Study, which engages the top 10% of the world's wealthy to understand their interactions with the luxury market. Welcome to the luxury item, Julie.
1: Well, hello, it's great to be here with you.
0: I'm so excited to have you on and thank you for taking the time to join me. So for those that are not familiar with Team One, and I think a lot of our listeners around the world might not be, so a good place to start would be by telling them about the agency, how it started, what was its initial purpose for even existing, And how has it evolved over the years since it launched?
1: Oh, I'd be happy to tell our origin story. So Team One has been around for almost 35 years. And we were born at the same time Lexus was launched in the United States. So I actually uh, have an article pulled up here from the New York Times, and it's from 1987. Hmm. And I'll just read you a paragraph out of it. It says... To nobody's surprise, Toyota Motors USA didn't stray far from their home agency when they launched one for Lexus, the new luxury car it proposes to introduce in 1989. It chose Saatchi & Sachi DFS Compton.
0: Oh my God, Compton. I haven't heard yes, that in ages.
1: Which has been working with Toyota for 12 years. So basically when Toyota said, we're going to launch Lexus, a yet to be named luxury brand in the United States, they said, we're going to do a review. And Saatchi and Saatchi DFS Compton said, we're going to launch a a secret kind of code red agency for you called Saatchi and Saatchi Group One. uh, And it will be based in Southern California and it will service the launch of Lexus. Well, since that day, it started out as group one. And it, we literally, I think we're eight people in a conference room with a sticky note on the door that said group one. We then did a little research and found out there was already a company in California called group one. So then we changed our <laughs> name to team one. I mean, that's how scrappy it was.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and ever since then we have sort of lived our entrepreneurial values, trying to harken back to those days when we launched a yet to be named luxury mark and had eight people in a conference room.
0: So it started out uh, just focusing on Lexus and when did it start getting new pieces of business? When did it start wandering outside of Lexus?
1: It was Was solely, yeah, the agency was solely focused on Lexus for the first 15 years, really to make sure that all energies were on Lexus. And and Lexus today is still at an absolutely important, critical client. I mean, there are very few agency client relationships these days that last 35 years. And so we, there isn't a day we don't, uh, we never take that for granted. That's for sure. Um, But since then, we have certainly helped and supported dozens of other premium brands, luxury brands in a variety of, of sectors.
0: So after 15 years, you decided, well, since Lexus is sort of the anchor business and it targets an affluent audience, that in play and sort of play in that arena.
1: That's right. And really people started calling us because they saw the model we had been building and we, there weren't many like us in the country and in the world. And so the phone started ringing. And so we were fairly selective about the types of brands and partners we would work with just to make sure that we could help them and and they could be great partners to us. And so we've enjoyed, you know, lots of great client relationships over the years, whether that's project work, ongoing work, um, you know, all of it. It's been a really fun, fun journey.
0: And how many employees does it have now?
1: We're up to about 450 people. Wow. We've got, I know, and we have six offices. We have our headquarters in LA. We have a large group in Dallas. We have people in Atlanta, New York, Chicago, and Boise. And of course, mm-hmm. in this new uh, decentralized environment we live in, we have a lot of people that don't live in any of those six places right. and don't come right. in any of those six offices. So it's, um, it's a pretty special time, and geography matters a little bit less than it used to.
0: How does Team One uniquely position itself when you speak to a potential client? I don't know, do you still go with the... Um the statement of we're experts at launching the remarkable.
1: <laughs> we still use we do we, that's in our email signatures. We use that every day. we think about our agency's focus is how to launch ideas that are worthy of a remark because we know when something's shareable sorry shareable, editable, commentable, publishable, that that's when $1 that a client spends equals $10 in value. So everything we do is how do we get this idea more remarked upon? Now, I'll tell you a little bit about the agency's positioning, which is uh, uh, you know sort of our business statement, which is we are a modern full-service agency that helps premium brands thrive in a connected world. And how that translates for clients is we create and propel high-worth brands and businesses So, you know, much of our conversation with clients is around this idea of worth versus value. Mm -hmm. And, And I'd be happy to talk about that a little bit because it's really foundational to the way we think and work.
0: Yes, that'd be great.
1: So our notion of worth is that brands and businesses that are of worth are more loved and more respected. They're more lasting. They command a premium price. And they definitely sell on being more than a product. Whereas value brands, and you can think about those as the traditional kind of cost benefit analysis brands, tend to be more transactional. They're certainly more price sensitive. You know, pricing is more elastic in a value brand, whereas it's more inelastic in a worth brand. Value brands tend to compete on product attributes. And they're definitely, they can be more du jour, right? They can come and go versus a lifetime of loyalty. Right. So, you know, the irony of all of this is when we think about luxury, we think about things that are high prices and expensive and, and and people who buy luxury, actually the price is the least important thing to them. It's getting an experience that's worth it. And so for them, they don't think about price as much as they think, I actually want this thing so badly or this experience so badly that I'd pay full price or any price for it.
0: Right. So you've been at Team One for quite a while. Um, you've held a <laughs> number of uh, different roles before moving into the CEO role. When you took over the reins of Team One, did you have an agenda in mind in transforming the agency from where it was?
1: I have a two-part answer to this question and it's actually two sides of the same coin. I believe... That it's kind of like Paddock Philippe, you know, that you don't just buy a Paddock Philippe, you watch over it for remaining generations. (laughs) Right. And and the agency foundationally has not changed. We are premium brands, we are integrated, we build remarkable brands of worth, period. So uh, my North Star is those things. Now, executionally, a lot has changed since I've taken over. I mean, our size, our number of offices. I will tell you, technology and data and approaches. I mean, we have a full-service multimedia studio. We've got a virtual and augmented and mixed reality studio. We've hired a chief data officer named Prachi Priya, and she leads a team of 30 people across all of our disciplines. Um, You know, gone are the days of spending all of our time on a 30-second TV commercial. It's all about editorial publishing, content, content, content. And, And one of the biggest changes is where, where we're spending our money for clients, you know, where they're showing up. The media landscape is so different. And because we handle media planning and buying in-house and they sit right next to our creatives and our tech people and our data people, I'll, I'll call it the three S's. We are spending a lot of energy on search, social, and streaming. And they're now big parts of the agency investment, which, you know, even when I took over as president Seven years ago, you know, our work in this area was half of what it is now.
0: The last few years have been, I don't have to tell you, this has been really difficult for advertising companies right across the board in a situation that was made worse by the pandemic. How did Team One fare these past two years in terms of business?
1: Well, our business goes as our client business goes. And fortunately, we did not drastically impact team one's financial position over the last two and a half years. Partly because we have amazing clients and they realize the value of keeping foundational work alive. But I'll tell you, each client we had definitely felt this differently. You know, brands like Cathay Pacific and Marriott, they experienced full shutdown. Right. They paused, they paused everything, you know, travel stopped. Uh, Brands like Sparklight, which is an internet and cable company, achieved all time record growth and met their objectives within six months of, you know, met their annual objectives within six months. Uh, Harman International, which is home and mobile audio, stayed strong. Lexus had shorter work stoppage, but they were deemed an essential business. So they were back up and running quickly. And even to this day, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, they know that automotive demand. Especially at Lexus and other premium brands, is outpacing supply. It's hard to get it hard to get a new car now, and so, you know that they are back with a vengeance. Um, So each client reacted differently, and therefore the agency had different strategies and approaches for each client
0: during the last two years. So the luxury clients that, uh, particularly in the travel industry and the hospitality industry, that were shut down, how were you working with them? during the pandemic from a consulting standpoint?
1: We had, uh, some of our clients were actually furloughed. So we didn't speak to them for a few months, but before travel came back, we spent quite a bit of time with them and they were back online too about, okay, how are we gonna talk about travel differently? The world has changed. It's a new, new normal. What's a safe way to travel? What are the real reasons people travel, not the superficial reasons? What's the purpose of a meeting really? So many road warriors would just bounce from city to city and have meetings with clients and colleagues. Now, what is it really worth and what does it really mean? So we, we did a deep look at what's important about being together versus what can be done on call it Zoom or Teams or any other platform. And uh, you know we were able to come forward with some strategies that then talked about travel for the right reasons, travel safe, and we're here for you. And uh, we, we wanna encourage you to do the important things in life. And we're here to help make it happen in a very safe way.
0: Now, Team One has some interesting uh, flagship programs. Um, one of them is the Legacy Lab, which uh, was launched, I think, in 2012. It's a combination of a think tank and strategic consultancy. Can you talk more about the Legacy Lab and what its purpose is?
1: The Legacy Lab is, it was designed to, I'll say, discover, document, and celebrate the brand, you know, the, the remarkable brands in this world that enjoy enduring influence. So it really is a think tank. It's launched and owned. It's an enterprise of Team One, but it is a freestanding entity that's based in Los Angeles, and it I mean, its mission statement is to explore the dynamics of a long-term brand in a short-term world. So Mm -hmm. it really helps ambitious leaders, remarkable men and women who've succeeded in making their brands enduringly unique and inspiring, even as times, technology, and competition changes around them. You know, you think about the job of a cmo is so much more complex than it ever was and the average lifespan of a cmo i believe is now less than 3 years right. in any one job so this this think tank was dedicated to helping companies find an enduring purpose and that doesn't mean legacy doesn't mean of the past it means grounded in values and of the future so it's about enduring and sustaining not fad and du jour So if you
0: were to take a look at all these brands, are there any common themes that stand out about what's unique about these leaders' brands?
1: Yes. Our research in the lab shows that there are five themes that that leaders of enduring brands tend to possess. Now, this varies a little bit, company by company and leader by leader. I'll share with you the five if we have the time to do that because I do think it is interesting. Okay. The first is that, Long-term leaders take leadership personally. So they seek to make a more meaningful contribution. It is personal. It's about their own values. They invest in their own personal ambitions. And then they share those publicly with the companies they work for. They're not just figureheads. They're human beings that um, companies can get behind. I once heard a phrase that truly the only sign of a great leader is that they have enthusiastic followers. And so in this case, these leaders are people that live their values and encourage others to follow them. And they do. So I think about someone like, I don't know if you've studied Girls Who Code. There's a woman named Reshma Sojani. She left a big job. Yeah, she's awesome. And she left a big job in the financial services industry, I'm sure made a ton of money. But she said, I've got to narrow the gender gap in computer science. And so now she's realizing her personal ambition. She founded the company Girls Who Code. And in in that case, she took leadership personally. She did something that was personal to her and important to her. And I think she's on track to achieve gender parity in this field by, I believe, 2027 or 2028. The the second is behavior beliefs. So the flip here is that short-term thinkers tend to live their brands from the outside in how people view them, how they posture themselves, how they look in social media, legacy makers that we've spoken with tend to think inside out. What are your core beliefs and how do they guide everything we do? So an example here is is the Honest Company, you know, Mm -hmm. Jessica Alba and Christopher Gavigan. Yes, they launched an awesome company and there was a huge demand in the market for what they did. Uh, But even for them, it was their belief system about bringing health and and cleanness and naturalness to your little ones the third belief is great leaders of enduring brands let outsiders in so they don't stand on a pedestal and they don't do it by themselves they listen they collaborate they do um, listening sessions not just talking sessions and they know that they're better when the world around them participates with their brands. The fourth is this idea of inventing their own game. Short-term status uh, thinkers tend to go status quo or, you know, try to master the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. Long-term thinkers tend to create new rules. You know, they go in and say, what is my game and what is my version of that game? And you think about a brand like Patagonia, they've reinvented that category. And then the last of, of the five kind of similarities or values is that these leaders never stop making a legacy. They actually don't sit still. So they never sit back and say, I've achieved, it's always a perpetual, how do I bring the past forward? How do I learn? How do I make this about the future, not the past? So in all of our studies and in our dozens and dozens of interviews with these leaders, these are the five themes that tend to emerge and tend to create you know, enduring successful companies.
0: And team one has been studying affluence and tastemakers since the launch of the agency like 30 years ago. And a little over a decade ago, you started tracking the evolving values and aspirations through your proprietary global affluent tribe research initiative. When you decided to launch this study, what were you observing about the world's wealthy at the time that you felt was worth taking a longitudinal look at them?
1: We were hearing affluent customers be segmented and talked about by geography, by zip code, by age, by origin. There there was kind of an inaccurate segmentation going on in the research we were listening to and hearing and in the way our clients were talking. And we had this underlying hypothesis and belief that when it comes to affluent people, they're actually more aligned with values that unite them than some of the functional demographic stuff that divides them. So the hypothesis we were proving out was that there's a deeper, more motivating set of values that affluence have that unite someone that lives in um, France, lives in China, lives in Mexico. And so we've proven that out and we've traced those five values over the last 10 years in this study.
0: What are the five values?
1: Yes, the five values are mobility, success, status, belonging, and consumption. Mobility is this idea of transcending a zip code, especially now people are working from anywhere, they're global gypsies. Success has become much more about what people create than what they acquire. It's a creative economy, not -hmm. necessarily a, a goods economy. Status is entirely about rare experiences. That's conversations with special people, taking a trip on Virgin Galactic. I mean, you name it, it is about what is rare and what others can't get. Belonging is this idea that exclusive memberships are now much more networked and open across social, mobile, and digital channels there's a, a big favoring of inclusiveness versus exclusiveness so these are these are evolutions um, over the last 10 years and the fifth value is consumption which is something of high worth versus something of high price yeah that can be something of value that's a service or a time saver it's not necessarily a good that sits in your drawer on your shelf and if you
0: would take a look at those five values over the course of time which of which tribe values have changed the most since you started tracking them?
1: We have seen, well, the, the pandemic has really affected the need for belonging. You know, we've def- redefined how we date. You can find a spouse online almost as easy, if not easier than you can in a bar. We've, def- we've defined how people have connected digitally and physically the idea of belonging, especially as we talk about DE&I and, and all of us being uh, the need for us to be anti-racists and allies to all people. This is such a big, important topic and belonging has really evolved from, you know, what used to be kind of exclusive clubs and behind gates sort of experiences.
0: And affluents are generally hard to reach from a research perspective. So how were you able to get access to them in all these countries?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, there there are two common mistakes that lead to bad research. One is asking the wrong questions and the (laughs) other is asking the wrong people. So we had to do both things right. And especially when you're dealing with affluence, I mean, they are time starved. And so we had to make sure we're talking to the right people. And we had to make sure we were asking them the right questions so they would stay in our survey and continue to want to give their opinions. We have a a white glove recruiting approach to this. Uh, We definitely geo-fenced and geo-targeted based on some wealthy areas. Of course, all around the world, we're in more than 20 countries, which means we have a network of partners and people who help us identify um, neighborhoods and places. And then we have, uh, we don't just ask for hand raisers. We have partners that know how to reach out personally and professionally and recruit them based on them participating in a global community. And, and it's really a two-way community for these individuals. We share all of our research back with them. We have panels and salons where they can discuss findings and actually contribute to future findings. So it's, it's as much of a community as it is, you know, it's not a one-way kind of survey. And we have a fantastic partner. I do need to give a a shout out to someone named Chandler Mount, who is one of our, you know, special partners. And he has specialized in finding affluence for a long time. And he knows exactly how to meet with people face-to-face, how to get involved in their lives this is as much about cultural anthropology as it is about surveys. So uh, we've been very careful about how we curate this and we do it quite differently than, you know, many other kind of standard published surveys in our, in this business.
0: I was reading an interview with an executive at your Marriott international client, and he made reference to the 2021 global affluent tribe study and says that modern luxury should be understated, less formal and more meaningful, and that the global affluent are seeking more rewarding and purposeful luxury experiences. And that was a very hot topic for a long time about, (laughs) especially when people started traveling again. So the question I have was that study fielded when COVID-19 pandemic was receding and people were just starting to travel again. Looking at it now, is that still holding up?
1: Yes, uh, I will tell you, I was, I've been at LAX four times in the last two weeks and the Delta and American terminals are packed. There is not a seat available on any airplane. So I think we can safely say all of this pent up desire and energy to do meaningful things is now manifesting. To answer your question specifically, the 2021 published GAT study was actually fielded at the end of calendar 2020. So it was mid pandemic. When people were, you know, sort of stating these basic human needs and their desires to travel, the themes we are seeing, uh, and it's evolving a bit, is, I mean, the part that's steady is great trips should always include personally meaningful moments. And and we can't emphasize enough this idea of personal meaningful and moments. Each of those three words matters. They are, it's definitely a bucket list kind of mentality. I want to see my grandma. I want to spend time with loved ones. I want to experience this. There's a life is short feeling that has gone on steroids. And so people are now accelerating their desires to make these things happen because they, they've really realized how precious life and relationships are over the last two years. And then the last bit I would say is that sustainability continues to be a big conversation and topic, especially for our global affluent tribe participants. You know, you'll see many programs where people can offset their carbon footprint. People are thinking about: is that an important trip to fly, or is this an important meeting to Zoom? Right. And there's more thought about now. Gas prices are so expensive that do I need to get in a car? Or don't I? What's worth an in-person visit, and what's worth a a digital visit, let's say. So we're basically what we're seeing is the themes and pent up feelings that people had during the pandemic are playing out exactly as people talked about.
0: And from what I understand, the newest wave of GAT research will be released in May. Someone told me that, um, <laughs> I know I know it's proprietary, but there are any- Insider info. Insider info. Are there any early insights or themes that you can share with uh, our listeners, at least one or two?
1: <laughs> I can share a little, <laughs> obviously there's more to come. A- right. And a general theme is creating more powerful memories and enhancing relationships that is still front and center. One thing that's kind of interesting and was a bit surprising, is that more than one third of our global affluent tribe folks currently participate in what we call web three or web 3.0 activities. Yep. Mm-hmm. So those are, yeah, those are things like crypto currency, multiplayer gaming, curious about the metaverse. They are really wanting to understand that universe and participating in the future of the web. And I say that loosely because it really is the future of immersive experiences, right? And so we'll have more data on that. There's more to come, but I think that's really exciting to think about this, you know, young, diverse affluent audience being very experimental and curious. It's not about ways of the past, it's about ways of the future. So uh, that will be something that we'll cover more deeply in the next round of, of GAT, which gets released, as you said, in May.
0: Um, one of the five shared values among the Global Affluent Tribe is that they consider rare experiences the new status symbol. That's not just about collecting expensive stuff anymore, but we're seeing, you know, they're also, I'm assuming still buying the handbags, clothes, shoes, watches, and jewelry. And they're the driving force behind the luxury industry's quick bounce back. Do you think they're showing any resistance to the sharp price increases that have been happening from Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Hermes, and other luxury brands?
1: Well, it's interesting because affluent buyers are less price sensitive. And so With inflation and with price increases, they are still buying. And they're still buying it at record pace. What I'll say is they tend to be spending money on products that will endure. It's less about a short-term experience and more about a well-crafted, enduring piece of art, handbag, experience. Um, We definitely are seeing that. The other thing that's happening is there's kind of this post pandemic life is short by the thing mentality, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a juxtaposition between spend on less and fewer things and people also saying, just do it and do it now. I want a place in the woods. I want a new ski outfit. I want a beautiful uh, family vacation let's do it now because life is short. And we're hearing a lot of that, a lot of that as well. But the bottom line is they're still paying and paying very high prices for lovely, well-made things. In fact, people are even paying for lovely, well-made things that don't exist in the physical world. They're buying items in Metaverse sometimes, um, which has been a very fun and interesting study.
0: You've been in the business for a while and, and what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the way luxury marketers have been speaking to affluent consumers?
1: It's much more casual. There's fun involved, there's style, there's flair. It's just personal and purpose-driven. Gone are the days of formal language and formal behaviors and an exclusive feeling kind of communication. It's very casual. And you can point to a lot of brands that are using Music, celebrities, pop culture, athletes. You know, these are things that connect generations. They're not things that pull them apart. And the brands that are doing it well are walking that fine line between being really accessible and comfortable and interesting and in culture, yet still charging a bunch for a product that is well worth it. And so that, to me, that's the biggest change I've seen.
0: You touched upon this before. You created this unique anthropology practice in the agency. Did this practice stem from the fact that you were observing that cultural drivers have been a major factor in shaping the attitudes, behaviors, brand engagement of the global affluent tribe?
1: A hundred and ten percent. Our chief strategy officer, Mark Miller, has been fascinated with cultural anthropology for a long time, and he knew that this is the foundation of understanding people, truly understanding people, not just purchasing patterns and and business behavior, but truly understanding how human beings interact with each other. And so forming this practice was really important to us. And we're one of the few agencies that have a full cultural anthropology practice. Uh, And if you do get a chance to listen to Stephen Garcia or read anything he's written, it is fascinating. You know, what he's finding is that the wealthy don't necessarily use their influence to gain, they use it to give. Right. And that's a, a paradigm thing that our, our cultural anthropologists have figured out, which is the desire to give back as people progress in their wealth and progress in their careers. It is about giving time, contacts, knowledge, access. Um, that's it's kind of how people signal influence right now. So that's something that a you know a cultural anthropology team is, uncovers for us.
0: I was actually watching that interview with Stephen Garcia. It was fascinating um, when he was talking about the study that you conducted, reframed your understanding of, of how influence works among today's affluent. So what should marketers be thinking? What should luxury marketers be thinking about when speaking to this next breed of influencer?
1: It is truly about personal impact and flipping the switch, not just on what this product gives you, but what this product allows you to do with your influence in the world. So can this experience be a transformative experience to you? We've talked a lot with our our, um, Ritz-Carlton and Marriott clients who are longstanding, wonderful clients, and they're such a great company to work for. They have really talented people, and they've done fascinating things in, in the travel industry. We've talked to them a lot about how travel isn't just an experience of a week or two weeks, it's a transformative experience that individuals have. So can you change the brief from, how do we get someone to stay with us versus how can we stay with someone? You know, How Mm -hmm. can a Brits Carlton experience be an enduring experience that stays with someone indelibly in their mind and in their memories? And therefore we transform that person. They're different before they walked in the doors till when they left. And that would be something I'd really think about, any any premium or luxury marketer should really think about, which is the impact you have on the individual and then their exponential impact they can have in the world as a result.
0: I'm assuming that you use the insights from the Global Affluent Tribe to inform campaign strategies for Lexus or Ritz-Carlton or any of the other clients. Can you provide like one example of how you've used those insights to form a campaign strategy and how, how you measure how do you measure success of these campaigns
1: <laughs> Yes I'll actually use the Ritz-Carlton because we were kind of rolling on that during your last question Our role is to create indelible marks in fact that that's what the campaign is we don't invite people to stay with us we stay with you meaning we the Ritz-Carlton stays with people in their memories and so the measurement on that isn't number of hotel stays. But maybe number of memories created or quality of memories created. That's our stated goal. And that's what we talk about when we create campaigns and communications. Of course, it's anecdotal, it's hard to measure. Uh, but there's also data that then allows you to measure that, which is not just number of room stays, it's actually revenue per available room, which indicates the relative worth of what that brand holds in people's hearts, how much they will pay for that experience. Will they pay full price or any price to have a transformative kind of hotel experience? And so this has been the Global Affluent Tribe work has really informed our work on the Ritz-Carlton and it has for almost a decade.
0: Before you were talking about, um, you know, Team One had recently invested heavily in its focus on data and analytics how have you grown that practice and how are you using the data science to support your luxury clients and their challenges
1: data is everything right now and and it will be qual data quant data and real id which allows for personalized data it's how we understand customers and how they vote with their wallets and their dollars And it's not just chasing the next purchase. I'll tell you, it's about helping our clients create better products in the future. It's about helping our clients create more intuitive products in the future. It's about creating real personalization. And and frankly, when you do data right, it can actually be, I'll call it less creepy. You know, so many people are fearful of being stalked with their data and Mm -hmm. served the same message over and over again, or it's used in the wrong way, or They feel vulnerable. If you do it right, it actually feels really intuitive and helpful to a customer. It's the right amount of communication at the right time in the right place. But you have to get the data piece right because too many marketers are sloppy with it. And it ends up being that sort of creepy, clumsy version of using data. And we have invested a bunch. I mean, Prachi Priya, our chief data officer, she runs a team of, I think, 30 individuals that do business analytics, media analytics, audience analytics, data governance. I mean, it, it is at the core of our business. It's at the middle.
0: We're seeing more luxury brands becoming more willing to experiment and adapt with the times to remain relevant to younger consumers, whether that be through its frequent collaborations with artists, brands, and celebrities, or launching products made from you know, eco-friendly materials, It's all becoming, seems like a pretty standard script. So is that enough? Do you think that's enough? Or do you think luxury marketers need to tap into something else to stay current and ensure longevity?
1: Luxury marketers need to reflect and guide the values of their buyers. So eco-friendly is very important. There was a recent survey among millennials and the biggest long-term issue they're worried about is the environment and the impact companies have on it. So I don't think that's a, a passing conversation. To me, that is an enduring and important part of the conversation.
0: You were talking about the new study that's going to come out and the metaverse is, is the buzzword of the moment and luxury brands are falling all over themselves to be part of it. How are these <laughs> early iterations of the metaverse? How are they shaping the future of advertising within these spaces?
1: We all have to resist the tendency, which is to sell, um, we have to add value to people's experiences. And if that's brought to you by a brand, all the better. So for example, we our 3D studio allows us to build any product photo real through data only. In other words, you don't have to go shoot something. You can actually build a photo real version through CAD data or NURBS data, what we call it. And that will be really important in the metaverse as you start to experience brands, products, neighborhoods, real estate, avatars, all of it. Uh, We have to, there are two things. One, we have to avoid the clutter and the temptation to be salesy. But number two, as premium and luxury brands, we also have to resist our usual desire to be perfect. This is a space where you have to experiment. You have to try it. You have to put something in. You have to say that didn't work. You have to learn from it. The always in beta idea when it comes to the metaverse is really important because nobody's gonna get it right out of the gate. And especially luxury and premium brands wanna do things impeccably. We're gonna to have to make, um, take experiments and, and take chances as we do this. And we just have to do it with the filter of not selling, instead adding value to, to people's experiences.
0: Well, Julie, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island, And you can only have one luxury item with you. What would that one luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation or water transportation. can't be anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to get you off that island. It's just you. It's just you on that island, stranded somewhere. What would that one luxury item you would like to have with you?
1: I'm going to go with, I have a mattress and pillows that I love. And it's a company called Satva, S-A-A-T-V-A. Yep. They have an organic product. It's full DTC. They were one of the first DTC brands to bring it right to your house, set it up for you. <clears throat> I love a firm mattress. They have a beautiful firm mattress and they have pill- I'm a side sleeper. I love stacking three pillows high and sometimes at the end of a long day, there's nothing I love more than that bed. So if I could plop that bed in the middle of that desert Island, I think I would be happy and comfortable and fulfilled at least until someone came to rescue me.
0: I love that. Julie (laughs) Michael, CEO of team one. Thank you so much for joining me on the luxury item.
1: It was great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for this episode of the luxury item podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The luxury item podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.